It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Uh, thanks for joining the Change Creator Podcast show. Uh, we are here with a social entrepreneur in the agricultural space. So if you like to eat and you like to eat healthy, clean food, then listen up because we got some really interesting insights, not only about the topic, but about her startup experiences and knowledge in the space. So her name is Tania Pina, and she is the founder of Renewable, and that's kind of like renewable, but it's spelled R-E hyphen N-U-B-L-E. Um, the vision of this company is to create a closed loop agriculture system throughout America and the world in which food waste doesn't exist, but also uh, the chemical additives uh, are no longer in the food and farmers and growers can feed local communities rather than putting food in the landfills. So some really exciting stuff and the story and insights that Tania has um, are great. So we're gonna dive in in just a second. A couple quick updates for you. Uh, first and foremost, we did a nice refresh on the website. So we'd love to uh, have you check that out, uh, get any feedback. There's a contact form there. Uh, let us know what you think, if anything's missing. Um, but we hope you like it and find it easier for your content needs. Um, and definitely check out the free resources. We have several free resources that you can grab right away. Uh, it's www.changecreatormag.com. Um, this March, guys, just coming up around the corner, we are not far off. We're going to be releasing a big issue with the one and only Tony Robbins. Um, you know, we're going to talk to him about how to become extraordinary in your life and succeed with your business um, and health and everything. So, lots of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. Uh, keep an eye out. And without further ado, we're going to dive into this conversation with Tania. Hey, Tania, thanks so much for joining the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so just hanging out here in South Florida, enjoying the weather. Remind me where you are again? Uh, we're in New York City. New York, that's right. And um, weather is doing cold and, and warm back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, not much else. All right. So listen, I am excited to talk about Renewable. Um, I think you guys are doing a lot of great things, and I just love the idea of better management of resources. Um, so you're in the hydroponics game, uh, indoor, I guess, um, farming, right? Um, that's, that's fair to say? No, you're absolutely right. Okay. So how did you get there? Um, like what captured your attention to pursue this type of path? You know, I, I think about, you know, everyone's conditions and like how they grow up, what they're doing and how they get to where they are. And I'm always interested in, you know, what, what led you there? Yeah. Um, I mean, my path definitely wasn't predictable at all. I, um, <clears throat> at the time I was in investment management and a lot of the, I spent a lot of time outside of work, um, doing, uh, volunteer work with a program called New York cares. And on Saturdays from like 8am to 12, sometimes one or two, um, that afternoon, we would be, we would set up a prep SAT program with kids at a high school at the time called Thurgood Marshall, which is in Harlem. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm one of those types of people where I really, try to connect with the dialogue 
dialogues that I'm having with people, mm. my personal experiences, and what's going on with the world. And I really think that people can instinctively kind of um, figure out where they can create the next idea that solves a problem by connecting those three areas of their life. Yeah. So at the time, you know, I was witnessing these kids coming into class, eight o'clock, they were bringing Dunkin' Donuts, because that's really only <laughs> the quick available thing um, that they could access within a two block radius, and they would crash by noon. And I'm just like, you know, I've always had a pain with that, because ultimately how productive and how much they were retaining the information that we were providing them during these Saturday intensive classes really dictated how, you know, um, successful they were going to be in their future. And and that all comes down to nutrition. So mm-hmm. at that time, you know, I, I took that kind of personal observation and I've always been interested in food systems, especially in cities and how to make them more resilient and sustainable. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of just was an amalgamation of a lot of different interests points for me. So I um, worked full-time, and I worked full-time with Renewable for probably the first three or four years just to really test this out because it was a new product in a completely new category. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it it I held full-time jobs to really test the R&D and get other smart people around this idea to really validate it. Yeah. Wow. So three, you said about three years plus, um, basically doing this on the side to figure out like proof of concept. Is that, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. And so what was your process for getting proof of concept? So when did you know that you were comfortable with moving forward? Yeah. So, you know, Renewable did have a different business model in its early days. We incorporated it in December 2011 when I decided to, you know, leave my full-time job, go to Virginia um, and start this idea. It was around taking modular anaerobic digesters, which are normally municipal in scale, but they ultimately take food waste and they turn it into uh, two byproducts, which is energy generation and a low-value liquid affluent or fertilizer. Mm. And that business model, you know, received some traction from we were trying to, to set up these assets, if you will, um, along food distribution supply chains of larger supermarkets. So you have a, a Kroger's or a supermarket or yeah. Safeway um, where they have distribution centers and the food waste volumes is abundant. But, you know, there's always a need to divert uh, to, to reduce their disposal costs as well as try to offset their energy costs. And so it fit the market validation was immediate and we knew um, we could get in by providing a solution. The biggest risk for risk for us was the technology because it wasn't our own and we were partnering with a UK technology provider at the time. Um, there was a lot of financing risk because it was a almost project financing business model and it was double-sided. So how do you make sure that you have enough of the food waste coming in and then try to sell, which was an egregious amount of liquid uh, affluent that Mm -hmm. you had to compete as a low cost provider um, versus the energy generation, which was really nominal. So to go to your, your question, you know, I, the validation was there for the first business model. We were not the right team to execute on that. Hmm. And so we diverted into hydroponics because we knew we could reclaim the nutrients for food, for food waste, for 
agriculture in general, but there was a larger pain point within the agriculture, very niche, however, which is hydroponics, growing food or plants in soilless environments, um, because the need for organics is there, and there's still a lot of need for innovation with organics um, because of, uh, you know, always the distrust of efficacy and how quickly you can gain those yields versus synthetics. Um, And so it really resonated. Wow, interesting stuff. Um, sounds like you've had a lot of really um, educational experiences through the process. Yeah, and and you know, I think um, I don't think people should get discouraged if they don't know something. What I would advise is like do what you do really well, which is mm-hmm. if you're a big concept person and can take something and make it a methodical system or create action steps from it, which I I think that's one of my strengths, um, then pursue that. But like, I would never become an agronomist because I don't have the technical training for it, though I'm very passionate and intellectually curious, curious for it. So I knew it was still a good fit. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's important to be honest with yourself about your strengths and your weaknesses. You know, you might need expertise in those areas. And you could, like you said, you could still be really interested in those things. But when it comes to the actions that you're taking, um, I love the idea of doing things that align to the skill sets you have. So you're kind of aligning to skill sets and values. Totally. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's a major motivator. And by aligning to skills, it really does accelerate the process. Um, So you don't have to go through major learning curves for different things. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, one other advice I would would say is work with consultants um, just to kind of validate things sooner. And so they, they're more committed, obviously, uh, they're being paid, but they want to see you succeed because whether they're committed to being a long-term advisor or member of the team, um, don't try to do everything yourself and bring on consultants if you can. And I, I know that's not a possibility for, for everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are who are interested in starting a business or even have one, like they're not pushing it to the next level because they don't have the capital or they're not starting because they don't have the capital. And of course, you know, when you're unknown to these things, you're afraid of losing the money that you're willing to invest because you're already, you know, limited in resources. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> I don't know what your circumstance was, but did you have to, for, for those early years, did you have to get funding to sustain yourself or were you just using your, your day job to fund yourself? Yeah, that's a great point. So it was definitely the latter. I sometimes worked one or two jobs um, and I, I, you know, went through savings. Um, so I knew probably midway through my career before I left it, which was in New York, I knew like I was starting to save as much as possible and putting that money away for this business idea. Rather than going back to school for graduate school, I knew I was going to risking on that. Um, but I, I worked a lot and I, uh, you know, had a side a hustle for a long time. Um, and it kind of reminds me on, um, there's a podcast called build it by NB NPR and mm-hmm. they, the CEO of Southwest did the same thing. He was a lawyer. He, he consulted as a lawyer for four years until his board of directors actually told him you have to leave that job if you want to continue as CEO of Southwest. So huh. for that security, um, I I encourage it. I mean, it, it's it's tough. It's not for everyone, but uh, it was it, it gave me the safety blanket I needed. Yeah, it's a big help. And it depends on what you're doing. If you have major operation costs, um, it, it could be challenging. <laughs> but um, how did you, uh, I guess this is the last thing before I move on to the next topic. Um, 
are there from from doing that side hustle? Are there any tips? I know you've been giving some advice on things like get mentors and things like that. But how did you manage? Um, was there certain routines or processes you had to work while you had a day job? Like what, you know what I mean? Like some, I, I've done it too. I did years of side hustling and I would have to wake up at four in the morning because I'm more of a morning person. So I get my hours in before I had to, at the time I was in Philadelphia and get on a train at seven thirty in the morning and go to New York. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some people are night owls. What, what would, what did you do? How did you work around it? How many hours were you putting in stuff like that? Yeah, no, I think I'm very much the same as you. So I I would start renewal in the mornings and I would end renewal in my evenings and really try to compartmentalize, um, you know, uh, my day. So during lunch, I was having conference calls. During the late afternoons, I was having conference calls. But nine to five, you know, was pretty much committed to my full time. I think, you know, task management boards like Trello um, and having at the time we were, we had an intern group for the summer. And as long as you can make things easily, um, pick easy to pick up for others that really want to help you just because they're curious and they're dedicated to what you're trying to create. Um, you know, if you could make it as easy as possible to pick up where you last left off um, and be able to execute on something, I think having that mindset, not only from a process perspective, but also to kind of train yourself early for when you do build out your team yep. was definitely helpful. I think you just made a huge uh, point, a very important one, which is something that I've learned over the years too is you know, approach the business like you got to hand it off to someone. So if someone was going to buy it like a product, they'd have to know how all your processes work. Um, So to have those things documented uh, in an organized and thorough way is valuable in just multiple ways. (laughs) Totally. And I know it seems like at the start, it may seem like, yeah, we're not doing too much. We're just working on this and that. But you know what? Anytime you do it, I'm telling you, it is so important to document. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't agree more. Yeah. Um, So, okay. I want to just establish a little insight from you about the problem you're actually addressing with this business. Can you talk about that? What's going on with resource management? Um, let's let's just get what's the size of this issue and and that you're tackling right. Now? You know, let's get a sense there. Yeah, when we did a bottom-up analysis of what the market for hydroponics looked like, and granted, hydroponics could be inclusive. We're, we're plant agnostic, right? We're trying to make a difference in food space. However, we're very, uh, you know, we acknowledge and in, in, in openly um, three-quarters of the market is for those that grow cannabis. And, you know, I have no bias towards it. I personally think uh, it has great medicinal benefits. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, but we went into this trying to help people grow food uh, using um, uh, having basically comparable alternatives to synthetic. So we valued that as $3 billion within the U.S. Um, I've heard it being quoted as up to $6 billion, uh, just vertical farming in, by 2020 globally. So, um, and again, that's just for food when we valued it. And, you know, we are selling to the hobbyist that tries to set up a, a hydroponic system indoors or outdoors um, at home. And then you have your small and mid-sized scale business that may be a farm that sells it as a lifestyle business to supermarkets, restaurants, farmers markets, and it's definitely not limited to those three. And then the industrial scale, which we haven't penetrated yet because our product um, simply isn't uh, uh, suitable for their operations yet because they use automated dosing controllers. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different topic. But yeah. <laughs> um, 
but you know that that's even more of a uh, of a, a larger market to pursue. So, you know, we we definitely think that food will hopefully have be priced at and valued more than where we see the prices for cannabis going. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it's interesting to see. Um, uh, where the, the hydroponics market is going, especially in the U.S., I think it's still very nascent. There's a lot of unit economics, um, especially for the industrial scale, that has to be proven. And, and on the organic side, um, that's even smaller of a of a niche. Um, and so, but the the interest is definitely there, especially amongst the industrial scale, because they're struggling to find an organic solution that can be suitable to their system, so that there's less of a manual, you know, uh, hand feeding component as you would find in a small to medium yeah. size scale business or consumer. Um, interesting. So let me make sure I understand correctly and just get clarity for everybody. Um, the hydroponics approach. Okay. That's, that's no soil involved. Um, it's very popular doing hydroponics with cannabis and now food is not something that's as popular, right? So you're saying that there's a transition taking place that you're you're aiming towards to, I guess this saves land space, right? And, and soil um, and uh, benefits, I can benefit the upcoming organic uh, market on an industrial scale. So food though is not currently done in large scale with hydroponics. Like what about those like vertical farming towers and all that stuff, is that hydroponics? Is Am I capturing this right? No, you are. So the vertical farming, um, the technology isn't always hydroponic. Some of them are using aeroponic, which is still using water and nutrients as the main medium, as mm -hmm. an alternative to soil. But they're using almost a spray or misting component that okay. subjects the the plant's roots to the the water and nutrients, and it's and it's more precise with um, uh, water water usage. So. You know, you have aeroponics, and then you have um, NFT, which is a nutrient film technique, or you have an ebb and flow system, or you know, there's a, a many different hydroponic systems that are being used. But the large industrial scale, when you think of vertical farming, mostly are hydroponic or aeroponic, um, or some sometimes even uh, aquaponic, which is okay. using fish. Are you are you familiar with aquaponics? Not really, no. Okay. <laughs> Um, and I shouldn't assume it's just you. <laughs> so it's taking fish um, and, you know, the, the culturing fish to create the waste, uh, which ultimately serves as a nutrient input combined with the water to grow the, the, the food or the produce. Yeah. Um, and usually you all, so the nutrients from the fish waste ultimately provide anywhere between 80 to 90% of your nutrient needs. Cool. So, to your point, um, the organics makeup of that entire market is still very niche. However, the demand for it is yes. definitely there. It The main drivers that we've heard from either customers or those that are curious about our product is, can you achieve the same yields? Is the color, taste, and leaf size comparable to synthetics? And really how quickly you can turn around yields-wise. Um, and so... We've shown that, yes, the efficacy is still there. Granted, you know, um, for the industrial scale, it still definitely needs to be proven. Okay. Okay. But it, it, it right now, based on smaller scales, it looks like the efficacy, meaning the abundance that you can grow in a particular uh, space, right, is, is um, comparable? 
Absolutely. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Well, I guess upward and onward and we see where it goes, but uh, <laughs> it looks like you're tapping into, well, I like it too, because you're tapping into, you know, it's like, you know, I was writing something about what we're doing and I said, you know, you know, we're kind of riding the wave in the sense of the wave is just starting and you're kind of getting on it at the beginning and, you know, you're kind of setting something up to, um, in an, a, a, an effort to plan, but also kind of nurture that transition to uh, hydroponic farming for food and things like that, which is cool. Right. And and I think you mentioned something really key earlier, which is, are there more, whether it's conventional or just farms transitioning to hydroponics? Um, there's a huge debate going on, especially with, uh, goodness, it's NOPA, which I'm forgetting the, the, the acronym of what it stands for, <laughs> National Organics Program, possibly, I, I can't remember right this time. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but basically, you know, it, it, I think there's a lot of fear around hydroponics taking over uh, soil agriculturalists, right, or conventional um, growing, and that'll never be the case. You see farms transitioning to supplement oftentimes, you know, to create a year-round year production um, uh, operation, and, and, you know, there are, there are rooting crops, for instance, that'll never be able to grow in hydroponic systems. So the drivers such as lack of arable land, water scarcity, amongst other reasons, and those being economic, are definitely driving some transitions. Well, yeah, and I don't think it would overtake soil farmers. Um, I think to your point, it's the obvious answer is um, it, it seems almost like a no-brainer for a soil farmer to learn how to convert his farming technique into part hydroponics for the products that can be uh, grown that way, right? Because it's obvious. I think it isn't it safer. Meaning, from they can do indoor from weather and um, all that kind of stuff. So it seems like it could be a better option where they can get more yields. And to your point, year round. Yeah, and I think it's just a preservation, maybe of you know profit margins from organics. Right now, the debate, and I wasn't being clear on that, is um, allowing for hydroponically grown produce to also be eligible for USDA organic certification. And I think they're just trying to preserve whatever, you know, uh, additional income they can, especially with farm incomes um, over the last two years, definitely uh, being reduced or, or negated. Um, interesting. So wh why would there be a problem with hydroponics being verified organic? What's the difference? Yeah, the main uh, uh, contention is, Soil, so the 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 microbial um, biosphere or biomes, to be exact, that are in a soil environment. So the microorganisms and uh, the the biochemical reactions that happen between the microorganisms that you know reduce the nutrients in a in a available form for the the plants roots. That whole activity is very hard, and they to replicate in a hydroponic system. And the the opinion is that it can it it doesn't happen growing food using the same dynamics with those components is not possible in hydroponics, right? And if so, you know, true organics is grown in a soil environment. And the flip side of that argument is, well, and especially our our beliefs are if we're using compostable inputs, right, from food waste, for instance, um, then we're kind of replicating the same organic decaying matter that's happening in soil in a hydroponic environment. The only thing that's different is that there's there's no soil, right? Um, so it's really, there. The, from what 
we're hearing and from what the main positioning is so far is that soil is the main requirement. And since hydroponics does not use soil, it is a, you know, like a very clear distinction of why it shouldn't be organic certified. Yeah, but the, <laughs> okay, I find that challenging. I mean, it's an interesting topic of conversation. And I guess it comes down to how do you define uh, organic? Like, so, you know, what, who, what's the final definition that we go by? Because if you're not um, supporting or helping the process, meaning with like pesticides, so you have to protect it or anything like that, it seems like the organic part of it is still organic, right? It's nothing, the, uh, the makeup uh, of the, the product is not changing through anything you add to it. Completely agree. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. The decision on, I think the certification, how the guidance is going to be laid out is going to happen April. I think they meet in Denver or Boulder, Colorado, it's April 17th through the 19th. So we're trying to be proactive and kind of raising awareness and just helping people understand, you know, really the differences between the two and why they can yeah. both coexist. Um, well, that's an interesting situation. I can't imagine it going in the direction of like, I mean, I can sit there and debate that all day long with you, but I, I feel like we're on the same page. <laughs> and I, you know, I wish that people publicly had a vote on these things, you know, not just some, a couple people behind the doors who think that they could speak for everybody, which kind of drives me crazy. Cause I think that when presented these, this information that I would say 90% of the public would say, yeah, yeah, I, I think they would agree. This this is definitely an organic approach, just with or without soil, you're still not manipulating the actual end result. Totally. And what I'll do, Adam, is send you um, some links that maybe you can put in the podcast notes area yeah. um, where people can provide their public comments because they are collecting it. <laughs> and then I think the decision is going to be up for hearing, you know, in April. Oh, then we need to get this out sooner rather than later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. I want to just make a note here. Links for public opinion. Guys, so think about what we're talking about and, um, you know, check out the links that we'll share in the post for this podcast and um, voice your opinion. I mean, this is an opportunity to help, um, you know, reduce the, the wear and tear on soil and land um, usage and also improve the approaches to getting organic foods in the market more affordably locally. Um, cool. So, you know, I, you know, we, we have spoken before and one of the things you mentioned that I just want to bring up is, uh, you touched on, uh, I'm going to just shift gears a little bit here. Um, <laughs> you touched on, um, mentorship earlier, get mentors, consultants, things like that. I, I kind of look at them similarly of people who are advising you, right? Um, where did you find mentors? I, I feel like it's, it is an extremely important part of the process. And it's one that I actually struggled with for years and I'm starting to, you know, pull people in as advisors. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, the time is right when you know you need that kind of support and you realize <laughs> the value of it because you're just kind of flying all over the place. Um, so it can expedite your process. So without me going on forever here, wh where did you find mentors? Do you have any recommendations for, for that? Yeah, I think the easiest way um, is first through score.org. Right. So 
SBA has a great program that basically commissions um, retired, you know, former business owners uh, or former executives in various business functions that are ready and able to advise you on various things, whether it's law or IP protection, marketing, what have you. Um, That's the easiest way to access mentors. And they have it both online, so virtual, as well as in-person all across the U.S. So that's one. And I have Um, checked that out, actually, because you mentioned it to me once before. And the first time I was like, oh, (laughs) really? (laughs) Uh, Let me write that down real quick, because, you know, I'm always looking for people with experience in certain areas, because like I said, it helps expedite your process. Um, And I surfed around. I mean, you could find people to support you from everything from operations to marketing uh, growth to uh, Indiegogo campaign support, you know, so definitely a valuable resource. And uh, one of the things someone mentioned to me about it, and I'd like to hear if you did this or not, is, you know, you can (laughs) get in touch with these folks and see if they can help you, right? Um, And then, Tania, did you meet them in person once you felt like they were the right fit so that you can kind of further just kind of get a sense, is this the right kind of partnership or not? Did you do in-person or did you just do telephone or Skype communication? Yeah, so if I had like a one-off request, like I just needed some quick advice on let's say a contract agreement, right? Um, And they can only advise you, but so far, I would do a virtual or by phone. But if I wanted something a little bit more sustaining and I knew like they were going to take a a longer term interest simply because they're personally interested in your success, that would be in person. And I would, you know, sometimes it it did take, you know, visiting a few mentors to realize which one was best for me and which one had the right skill set. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And a lot of times it looks like, you know, you might have to invest in getting on a plane. Like once you're ready to share, if they're going to be like, to your point, be more committed and be something that's part of the team in a sense, um, on an ongoing basis, then there could be more value in, in making sure you get that face to face. Um, so yeah, good advice. Good advice. Um, well, listen, I want to be sensitive to your time. And so we're just about there. And I want to, I think this is a really great conversation. I love what you guys are doing. And like I said, I think you're at the, you're jumping on the wave right at the beginning here. So I hope the organics fight uh, goes your direction. Actually, I'll say our direction. I think it, it makes a lot of sense to get, to go that way. And, um, you know, we all get some more local foods that are done the right way. So and uh, let's just give you an opportunity. So where do people, where can they connect with you? Where, where can they learn more about what you're doing and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, best way to um, either reach me or anyone in the company is through our email, which is info at renewable, which is R-E dash, N is a Nancy, U, B is a boy, L-E dot com. I check it every day. And, you know, a lot of times people just have a question on how do we get started and, um, you know, what, where does food waste this whole landscape of like people upcycling and turning into resources, food waste stand, happy to definitely answer those types of questions within a reasonable manner. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) but yeah, feel free. We are accessible. uh, And um, yeah, that's the best way. Yeah, great. Well, we do need better resource management. So uh, kudos to you guys and the work that you're doing. Keep up the good stuff. And um, you know where to reach me if you need anything and we'll stay in touch, Tania. Thanks so much, Adam, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great. Thank you. Okay.
That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. We'll be right back.